uh, when I missed being here last week, my uncle died suddenly. And uh, so we, uh, my daughter, Sarah, and I went back to Texas and towards 80 degrees. Um, it was really strange. It was really strange to turn on the air conditioner in the car at some point. But uh, anyway, we, uh, it, you know, it was one of those funerals. It was really special, you know, a great memory of a, a great man. And so it uh, turned out great. Just wanted to update you on that and then got to see my dad there too as well. So just uh, overall good reunion. Um, funerals could be tough, but uh, but that's that. this one went, went really well. So really special. Nice to be back with you. Missed you all. Uh, it's weird to wake up in a hotel room and, so, and not be here on Sunday morning. You know, I miss that. So. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to just start with just a, a mentioning something about our series that we're in. Uh, what we just heard from Hebrews 12 was that statement from, that we all have heard many times. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and then... It describe it, it's it's the words are following this list of stars, I guess you want to call them the heroes of the faith. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is holding up faith and saying, look at these lives and be inspired by these lives. And with that, keep your eyes on Jesus. They didn't have Jesus in the Old Testament, the scripture that he's talking about when he's referring to these people, but he says, now we do. And so Keep your eyes on him in this faith. And what he, he wants to do for us is hold up faith through the lens of each of these different people and let us see it from different angles, what it meant to them, what it means to us because of that, and try to understand it. And I'm to be really honest with you, I, I've mentioned this before, uh, the thoughts, uh, the spending time with each of these characters in the Hebrew Scripture has made them come alive in a different way because I'm thinking about their real-life situation and what it was to have faith in God when their faith was stressed to the very end. When they were put in places and situations that were so difficult, that they had faith, and a lot of them failed along the way. But to see them wrestle with faith and how it came out, and then now to be inspired by their story has been really in, in, impactful with me. I hope that it will with you. I hope that you'll be able to, to think about the life of Sarah today and just grab hold of what it is that is like you with her, the struggle that is like hers and yours at the same time, and, and see that aspect of faith that is being brought up by the author, that's brought up by the story of Sarah. And maybe you'll have a whole different take on it, but I hope that you'll just be able to interact with her life. And I also want to say something about the title. We call it A Better Country, because another thing that the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says is that these people, this crowd, cloud and crowd of witnesses, was looking forward to a better country, the day when God would make all things right. But when we named it this, these words come from the scripture, it was a better country. When we named it, we thought, you know, we want to make sure that we're not talking to, about a better country like, let's talk about the United States being a better country. The United States in this world will be a better country. This town, our county, Colorado, will be a better country because of Jesus. So when Christians are seeking that better country or following Jesus closely by his side, right with him, that's when change will happen. And so we need to be transformed 
be inspired by the faith of these people to seek that better country and pray that a better country will come. just wanted to say that about the title and, and make sure we're all on the same page there. So, uh, today we're looking at the story of Sarah in Hebrews 11. We'll also be back in Genesis, so we'll turn there in just a few minutes. But here's the main point. Sarah is, she's our protagonist. She's who the story is told around, and it's her life. But the real story is God. And the story is this, the main point is this, God is faithful. God will be faithful. So as you see her story unfold, as we talk about it, the, the, the theme that will continue through it, through the New Testament and into our lives today, is that God is faithful. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, our God, is faithful. Three points. We're going we're gonna to look at Sarah's story. We're going to look at our story and how it ties in with hers. And then we're going to look at God's story, what he's doing. So Sarah's story, our story, and God's story. So starting in hers, let me just introduce you to her uh, briefly. She uh, is the wife of Abraham. And they, together, are the parents of the Jewish people, and in particular, the progenitors of Jesus. So Jesus is, comes from their family. This is the beginning of the story of reconciliation for all mankind. Uh, Abraham was extremely fortunate to have a wife like Sarah. And the more you look into her story and read about it in different parts of the Bible, you recognize, wow, this was some kind of woman. And uh, (laughs) the things that Abraham does around her and in their relationship are often pretty pathetic and pretty much like a common, typical man. But uh, she, uh, you'll see her, like I said, you see her go through some highs and lows, but she was a, a treasure for him. She soars in her faith, and she hits some really, really low times. But through it all, our God, her God, is faithful. But here's the thing. Here's the tension in her life. The tension in her life, the monster in the corner of the room of her life that never would leave, is that she could not get pregnant. Her, as a young woman, as a child, her dream as a woman in that culture would be to be a mother. She would have prayed that she would be a mother. That would have been the bedrock of her identity and what she would look forward to as a kid laying on her her bed, wondering what her future would be like. The biggest thing she would hope for is that she would be a mother. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Her family's lineage was probably the most important. She was critical in the lineage being continued. Right? Especially when we start to look at the promises that God makes to her and to Abraham a little bit later. Her pride, her identity, who she was, her uh, economic safety, her physical safety, her future when she was old, all depended on if she had sons who could take care of her. Right? So it was critical that as a young as a as a woman, she had children. I don't know much about what women feel about childbirth or having children. The closest I've ever gotten is is breaking my hip and feeling, you know, some pain, right? That's about all I know, okay? And that's not much, right? That was supposed to be funnier, but it fell flat. (laughs) So this is 
this on? Okay. Uh, anyway, no, no women are laughing, so I'm just going to move right on from that. Uh, she would have felt cursed if she couldn't have a child. That would have been like something's wrong with you. You're not having children, so something is wrong. Everything about her identity depended on that thing. It wasn't all about her husband. That was a big deal. But she, as a woman in that culture, needed to have a child. So I want to make sure we understand that that is, that is the, and I'm going to call it a monster. It wasn't just a shadow looming. It was a big deal in her life that was always menacing, always over her shoulder, always a stressor in her life. And she was unable to have children. But God makes this really unusual promise to Sarah and to Abraham, especially considering that she is infertile. Let's look at it. It's in Genesis 12, 1 and 2. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Lord said to Abram, Abraham was called Abram at that time, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. We talked about Abram's faith and Sarah's faith in making the decision to do that. But there was a promise. And I will make of you a great nation and bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the whole promise was based on them having children. Because how could a nation come from someone who is barren? Right? So what we talked about a couple weeks ago was that they had to step out without knowing where they were going and leave all the things that were important in that culture. Family, uh, father, parents, and, and their culture, and leave it and go to a whole new place. But I want to propose to you that for Sarah, it was a much bigger leap of faith, not just to leave the security of where she came from, but to believe that God would do this thing, to make a nation, great nations, and as you heard, we was read, uh, as many as the sand of the seashores, the stars of the sky, just lots of descendants. Now, how would that happen? if she could not have children. I think it took a lot of faith to leave, and it took a lot more faith for her to believe that that would be true. So everything about their leaving is sort of tied in with the promise that you will have children, Sarah. Lots of weight on her shoulders, right? She already has weight on her shoulders. And by the way, she's 65 years old, right? And so they did live longer then, but by the time you were 65, uh, Childbearing years were over back then. So after 10 years, they've, they've gone, they've established their new lives out in, the, in a new place, and they're still migrating around a little bit, but they're basically in this land. 10 years has gone by, and there's still no nation. She still hasn't had children, so you can do the math. I'm not really good at math from up here, but 65 plus 10 is 75, right? Okay, we I'm good. Okay. So uh, she's 75 and nothing's happened. Now, we all know that waiting is hard. I mean, we don't like to wait. I'm not going to give you a sermon on why we don't like to wait as Americans. No, you don't need to hear that. We read about it all the time. We want what we want right now. We want, and she wanted, and she had been promised. So she wanted now, right? Ten years go by. She's still waiting for something to happen. Something very specific, no nation, no son, no nothing. So Sarah does something I think we might be able to relate to, and that's this. She decides to help God out. 
Uh, and she's like, well, maybe I should do something sacrificial. Maybe he didn't mean I would have a child, but the child would be uh, attributed or associated with me and the family, right? So she's kind of worked her way around to figuring out how this could happen. And in that culture, in that day, and it's very different, so we just have to set aside everything we know about what uh, the value of women, the value of the wife and all that, and, and go back into this culture and say, all right, her sacrificial move was to say, I'm going to give my servant, whose name is Hagar, which she could do, to her husband Abraham and say, Abraham, I want you to have a child with this woman. And then that will be that child will be associated with me, and I will be part, the, the nation will start. Right? That was an okay thing, a normal thing to do. It sounds terrible to us, but that was an okay thing to do. Back then, well, a child was born, and it was, the child wasn't a disaster, but the relationships were a disaster. I mean, things just blew up. As you can imagine, they would. It just, as it would happen today, it happened then. There was all kinds of bitterness and fighting. And just her solution to help God did not work. You may have been in a situation like that. We see what we want, and we justify that thing. We work around to figure out a way to say that it's okay. The decision I'm making is okay. I see it especially with relationships. Like we want deep, close, personal relationships so badly that we will make a lot of bad decisions about those. We want intimacy. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like we're important. And so we make decisions that go around. We're like, I'll help you out, God, because I know you want me to have deep, healthy, lasting relationships. I mean, I heard at church, that's what I'm built for. I'll help you with that. We do it with, with goals that we have, with our career. If we want relief from struggle that we're in, we find a way to get that relief. I'm pretty convinced that a lot of us come to Crested Butte because we believe that getting up here to the end of this road is going to change something. That we look out and we go, this is so beautiful. It's so different. There's not even a traffic light. Everything is going to be awesome. I'll help God out with this. But, but here's, here's what we get really self-centered in trying to make those, find those solutions for ourselves. But we forgot and forget the main point. God is faithful. Okay? That doesn't mean I don't act, but I know I can trust him and, and believe that he is faithful. He will, he will come through. In the end, he will come through. So, moving ahead in our story just a little bit, 15 more years, okay? So, 10 years goes by, she helps God out, doesn't go so well. 15 more years. So, can somebody help me do the math? All right, I heard that, kid. (laughs) Abraham's a hundred. And here, this now is scoot up to Genesis 17, verse 15. God comes to them again. And he says specifically, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, and she was called Sarai at that time, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. That's really amping up the promise. Not just, I just want to have a kid. Kings of peoples will come. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? They did the math for me in here. I didn't have to figure it out. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, this laughter thing is pretty interesting. Because, you know, in Hebrews it says that Sarah has a ton of faith. But there's another place in this where Sarah laughs as well. When both of them hear that she is going to be the mother of kings, they both laugh. It turns out that laughter is pretty important a little later in the story, and I'll tell you about that. But I wonder what their laughter communicated. What, were the, what was being said by them laughing? And I, I, wanna, I don't want to try to read anything into the text. I want to get out of it. It's a very simple story. They laughed. She laughed so hard that she was, she was inside the tent. And some people w- that were outside the tent, including Abraham, heard her laughing and asked about it. And she was embarrassed about that. Um, laughter can communicate a lot of things. I think in this was some of that like, okay, uh, you said this and there's just no way. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a very good actor, so I can't do this. But, um, you know, just that laughter that is, you know, no way. That's just never going to happen. <laughs> you know, uh, but there was also a laughter that was born of frustration and bitterness. It had to be that way. 25 years, 25 years, that's a long time to wait. And she had been, this is why it's so hard for Sarah, she had been waiting since she was a little girl, right? The dream of the woman, the young lady at that in those days was to be the mother of kings. That was the dream. And now God said it. And she's like, forget it. I've, had, I've waited long enough. And I bet it was a laugh of bitterness that like almost welled up to those tears, you know? And then God says something that I think is maybe a a little phrase that we can hold on to when we're desperate, when we're really concerned, when we don't know if it can work out. This is in 18, Genesis 18, 34. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And then God says this, this is the line. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything, when you ask yourself if you need to help him along, if it can't get better, this is that question to ask. In addition, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, he said, I will return to you. And then he gets specific. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, just kind of bury that in your conscience. Just hold on to that. Underline that if you're at that place in the Scripture. Highlight it. So a year later, she's 91, because I can do that math, and he is 101. She has a child. 
then we're back to our main point. God is faithful. So that's Sarah's story. Now what about our story? Because I'm not Abraham, and you're not Abraham, and you're not Sarah. But that was different. They had a very specific promise in a very specific place in God's story. And that doesn't mean we don't have a specific story, but very few of us have been told something as specific as that. However, we do have promises from God. Just go on the Internet sometime and look up promises from God in the Bible. <laughs> Big list. I, have, I just jotted down a, a few, just a few. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says we'll have comfort in trials. Promise. In Philippians 4, 6, we will have his peace. In John 10, 10, abundant life. In John, 1 John 1, 9, forgiveness. He's faithful to forgive. In John 14, he will return. Every knee will bow. Promises. Those are just a, that's just a little snapshot of them. But here's, here's something I've noticed about depending on the promises of God and being faithful to believe. Promises lose their vibrancy when I'm not in need. Like when I'm doing good, when I'm well, when things are fine, when all is well with my soul, I've, I'm told I forgot about those promises. I'm like writing on them, but I've forgotten about them. But it's when we're in need, when we have, are forced to our knees, when that, that situation, that tension that tests our faith so severely has come upon us, that's when we're like, God, where are your promises? Where, you know? I get really self-sufficient. I start operating on my own. I start thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this. I can handle this. All's good. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm where I need to be. And I forget his promises. There's a. I tried to think of a way to illustrate this, and I don't have a great one, but it's it's almost like we're free falling and we're just having a great time, and suddenly we realize that we're free falling, and we've got to grab onto the ropes that are right there, and it's it's super hard to do, but we we see them for the first time. We were just enjoying the enjoying. We just didn't realize we were falling. We didn't realize I was falling. I was so navel gazing, you know. I just didn't know. So the question then comes, becomes for me, does faith for me actually require suffering? Does, do I have to have difficulty in my life in order to have faith, in order to understand, believe, engage with the promises of God? Well, that, that stinks. That's the natural question, right? But let me... Let me do this with you. Uh, when, when, when we look at the promises that we have from God that apply to all of us who are following him, a few of which I read, all of those, all of those are based in hope. They're not based in uh, suffering. They bring hope to suffering, but they are always about hope, whether suffering or not. Comfort in trials, his faithfulness, forgiveness. Man, what's better than knowing we will be forgiven? Knowing that he will return and make things right and take us to a better country. Abundant life, 
All of these are promises. They're all about hope, right? It's not all about darkness. It's all about hope, whether we are in points of suffering or not. That is available to us. Those things are available to us. Those are his promises. I want to read to you uh, Hebrews 12.1 one more time, just to refresh your memory on this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely to us. Think about this. And run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You don't have to be in a point of suffering to, to know and experience and live that. But it's wonderful to have when we are suffering. And I think some of us in here probably are in, in places of suffering. So we have Sarah's story where God is faithful. And we have our story where we've received these promises and God is faithful. But what is God's story? What, what's going on there? And I want to jump up into the New Testament and remind you of something that happened there. Uh, and in God's story, like it or not for us, waiting seems to be a theme. Waiting is a big theme in God's story. So what's he doing when he's allowing us to wait? Why are we waiting? And this, this reminded me of something that our staff was looking at. Uh, we're reading in uh, uh, a story from the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. And super, super cool uh, story. You guys all know it where this guy named Jairus, who has power and standing in the community, comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter is, is at the verge of death. And he's a religious leader. He's in, and he says, I, I need you, Jesus, to come. This is a very big step for him to make. And, and Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll come. He was at the end of his uh, rope. He, he had to turn somewhere. His daughter is dying. His child, his young daughter is dying, laying on her bed at their home. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need you. I need you to heal her. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come check it out. So Jesus is on his way. Of course, this big crowd. And this is that point. He's on his way. And a woman who's been suffering from bleeding for years and years and years, she's exhausted all of her savings. She's lost all of her friends. Uh, she's visited every kind of doctor that she could possibly visit in those days. Everything has been lost. And she turns at last to Jesus. And she gets through the crowd somehow. She's determined. She touches his robe. And she's healed. Remember? So Jesus is, look at this from Jairus' perspective, okay? That guy's desperate, right? Your kids, think of a young person, if you don't have kids, that you, you love like crazy. And that kid is in desperate, desperate peril. And you've asked for help. The ambulance is on the way, right? The doctor, the best doctor ever is coming. And along the way, Somebody gets in the crowd, and, and you know, Jairus' people are probably pushing the crowd out of the way, and this woman touches Jesus, and he stops. Who touched me? Now, Jairus is like, who cares? <laughs> right? My thing. What we're doing. This is what we're doing. Jesus, you know. You know. So, Jesus has this interaction with the woman right there. Jairus must have been going out of his mind. 
You got you said you were coming. You said you're and the woman is, is healed, right? How special is that for her? Right? How powerful is that in that moment? At that time, some other folks come from Jairus' house because they're all gathered around because the, the death of the child is imminent. And they say, hey, never mind. She's dead. That'd be a gut punch. Right? Jesus, you waited. You mess around with that person. That woman's lived her life. That's her life, okay? This kid's at the front of it, her little life. What, what in the world are you doing? Right? Do my thing now. I mean, uh, it had to feel it had to feel terrible. Well, they proceed on. Jesus says, "We're still going to your house." So they go to the house, and I can't I can't remember. Some of you guys will know for sure, but I can't remember. They go upstairs, but Jesus separates himself from everybody else and brings a couple with him, and and uh, and the girl is dead, but he raises her to life. So Jairus went, and he asked that his daughter be healed. But what did he get? Resurrection. He got something he never dreamed that he really needed. You see how that kind of ties into us in a little bit? What we really need is, is Jesus. She's restored to full health. And uh, Keller says this in his book, Jesus the King. He says, If God seems to be unconscionably delaying his grace and committing malpractice in our life, it's because there's some crucial information that we don't yet have. Some essential variable that's unavailable to us. For instance, resurrection. His story is much larger than our story. In the time that we wait for him to fulfill his promises the way we want to see them fulfilled is part of the unfolding of his story. So we have Sarah's story, and we have our story, we have God's story, but let me, let me conclude with this. just want you to imagine what it was like for Jairus and in Jairus' house when that little girl came downstairs. Can you, um, I mean, I can feel it right now because I have a baby girl, right? She's like 20, but she's still my baby. I can feel what that would be like. I would be jumping around, patting everybody on the back, running outside, you know. I would be so excited. Just I would be, I would be laughing for joy, right? Imagine the woman who Jesus healed on the way, right? The crowds move on. Jesus moves on. They're still following him. At some point, she's left alone by herself. Remember, all her friends are gone. She's lost everybody. But she's healed. Can you imagine how she felt when she's walking home? Or I think if I was her, I'd be skipping, right? Just, this is unbelievable. I'm healed. Look what Jesus did. It took so long. I thought, I thought it would never, ever, ever happen. But in his timing, Well, Sarah, she does become pregnant after 25 years of waiting for the big promise. And God says, I want you to name this kid Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. 
And God had turned that suffering, even though they had to wait, he turned that suffering into laughter. And he was faithful then, and he'll be faithful now. That is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. I think the band's going to lead us, and uh, we're going to sing, are we singing it as well? So um, should be a good way to close. I'm going to pray. God, uh, you are faithful, and I trust you. And I know, God, I'm in one of those times in life where I'm buoyed up by hope and believing what you are doing is good. But God, I know that many of us are not in that place. And I know I won't always be in that place. You are faithful. Help us to remember uh, whether times are good or whether they're hard, you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.